Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Merry Christmas, everyone. Is it just me or is this a good Christmas? It just feels really, really right. It feels good. You guys look amazing. Uh, a lot of red. I'm seeing a lot of red. A little bit of green, but uh, so wonderful. To Some of you I see every week, but I never get to see with your families, your extended families. Thank you for being with us. Uh, I've told all the musicians to be on their best behavior, all the pastors to be on the best behavior so that we look like a very normal church. <laughs> we, uh, we have a lot of fun here, and we really have looked forward to this Christmas. I want to just let you know that um, everybody that's participating here is just homegrown uh, musicians right here at our church that uh, take their turn every four weeks to just uh, volunteer and be a part of us, and they're just so amazing. But I also want to thank Ethan and Tyler for reading scripture for us. Thank you, guys. And uh, to to, uh, thank the Kripners, um, Sarah and Katie and Lauren, who are, uh, it's so good to hear sisters sing together in those beautiful harmonies, and Christina leading the band today. Can we give it up for everyone that's just... So I've always learned to keep my Christmas Eve messages short. Short. I uh, will never forget the time that I had uh, a grandmother seated on the front row. And by the way, I'm off script right now, so I may regret sharing the story. And then, uh, but um, at any rate, uh, when I came out, this is back at the other facility. Um, we made eye contact, not purposefully, but it happened. And she looked at me and looked at her watch (laughs) and kind of did this thing. And I thought, wow, game on, you know. And (laughs) any rate, if if the rest of the story is I went backstage as the worship team was coming out, and I I happened to say to one of them, uh, the lady on the front row is killing me. what I didn't know is there was a knock at the door, and it was my son. He's coming backstage, and he says, Dad, we heard you in the tent. I said, what would you hear? And he, and he said, the lady on the front row is killing you. <laughs> I mean, why not embarrass yourself right out of the gate, right? Why wait? So, but out of that, I've learned that Christmas Eve is a shorter service. We've got a lot to get to, you know, and so I'm going to speed it up and, and keep it short and simple. Is that okay with you? Yay! Okay. Whenever I read scripture, I, I ask God to speak to me afresh. And I ask him, I said, let me read this passage like I've never read it before. And the verses that you just heard Ethan and Tyler read to you, I I read these. Just as I've read them a hundred times, I read them like I never read them before. And I realized something uh, that God is speaking to us about Jesus, about his nature, about his ministry, all the way to the cross right there in the manger story. (laughs) 
in football, there's a term uh, where a quarterback or any other team member on the offense could be tipping off the defense as to what they're doing. Uh, I, I didn't know this, but I was watching the game before between the Ravens and the Patriots, and I heard the announcer say, I think that Lamar Jackson is tipping. Watch him. Every time he wipes his hand on the towel that's around his waist, he throws a pass right after it. And sure enough, it was happening right before my eyes. Well, lo and behold, the Ravens were listening to the broadcast, and they had to quickly tell their quarterback, stop doing that. But the Patriots were also listening to the broadcast, and they were telling their players before the Ravens could find out, he's tipping. It also happened in baseball between the Nationals and the Astros. Well, Astros were using some other method also, but uh, Schumer, he was told, uh, Strasburg rather, he was told that you're, every time you throw a changeup, you take a little bit longer and you turn your glove a little bit and the Astros know the next pitch is gonna be a changeup. And so he began to change what he was doing with his glove so that they wouldn't know and the Nationals won the World Series. Well, God here in this story is tipping He's telling us where the rest of the story goes, and I never noticed that before. So God, as we study your word, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this afternoon as if we've never read this story before. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's what I discovered. I discovered that not only is Jesus' ministry upside down, not only his death is upside down, but also the birth is upside down, and by upside down, I mean it's not what we expect at all. So let me tell you about the birth first and how the birth, this beginning, is upside down. Jesus' birth is this tiny, insignificant beginning against the vast Roman Empire. If you read the story, let me give you the verses again. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree, a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. Check out the map here so you understand how big the Roman... The Roman Empire will be remembered as a more significant empire than the United States. Not, no offense, I hope none taken. I know some of you are already not gonna vote for me because of that statement. But in terms of longevity, in terms of history and power and influence, the Roman Empire covering the entire Mediterranean world, Northern Africa, Middle East, uh, Southern Europe. By the way, this map is inaccurate. Britain was not conquered till 14 years after the death of Christ. Uh, somewhere in 43 or something, 44 AD. So you get the picture. A very prestigious empire with troops marching all over this land with ships sailing in and out. And 
Caesar Augustus decides, I want a census. I want to know how many people are in my empire. So against that is this little town called Bethlehem. It's insignificant now. It was even more insignificant back then, just a little suburb of Jerusalem, about six miles away, mostly shepherds who lived there. A lot of the sheep that were raised there were used in animal sacrifice in the temple of Rome, excuse me, of Jerusalem. So it's against this. So Rome, picture this throne when you think of Rome. Rome is, this is an actual Roman throne from that period. So picture this over against Jesus' original throne, the manger. And you have the contrast, and the contrast is intentional. God is tipping us about how different this king is going to be. So in the story, over against Caesar Augustus is a baby king of the Jews, whose name is Jesus. Rome versus Bethlehem in the story. Think of palaces, think of grandeur versus a stable and no room in the inn. Picture palatial beds, extravagance versus a manger. Picture Rome issuing the decree over against angels talking to shepherds. Hey, come to a birthday party and see what's happening. So this entire contrast is going on. But there's another contrast that's embedded in this story. It's God's highest for man's lowest. You're with me, right? You're following me? What part aren't you following? (laughs) God's highest for our lowest. So the angels... They're making the announcement of Jesus, which I expect. I think that's incredible for the Son of God to have angels announce it. But the crowd they announce it to are shepherds. Now, we think of shepherds as beautiful and wonderful because none of us live with shepherds. Uh, Shepherds smell. Sorry, just saying. And in those days, shepherds were usually and often not kosher because they were handling not just living animals but sometimes deceased animals and that meant that they were unclean for a period of time. And so the higher socioeconomic strata of Jerusalem particularly did not like to hang around shepherds. So... I don't know what strata you think of today, but God decides that's who I'm announcing the birth of my son to. So you're getting the contrast. I have to have you feel the contrast because we've become so endeared to the story. The manger, the manger is a feeding trough. The manger is where animals drooled in. Uh, But we would never sing away in a feeding trough. When we use the word manger, it's a quaint, wonderful word. We even think that a stable is wonderful. Wow, what a 
great place for a baby to be born. It's because there was no room for the birth of God in Bethlehem. This was God intentionally tipping us, telling us where the rest of the story was going. This morning, we wanted to do something special for our dads. My, my father-in-law is 101, and Jan's, my dad is 94, and we thought, it's got to be near the church because I've got a lot of services to get to. What do we do? What do we do? Let's have breakfast at the Park Hyatt. I'm broke now. <laughs> but it was very, very, very special. I realized if I were going to decide where Jesus is going to be born, he's going to be born in the Park Hyatt. That's where we think it should happen. But that's not what happened. What God did was decide, I'm going to embed in the story what tips us off where the rest of Jesus' story goes. So in five minutes, let me tell you where the rest of the story goes. Jesus decides to have disciples. Do you know who he chooses for disciples? Like the legendary people that are going to be mentored by Jesus. He picks fishermen mostly. Fishermen also smell, just like shepherds smell. They're not the highest in the socioeconomic strata. And Jesus decides that he's not into notoriety. That every time he starts to become popular in a town or a city, the text tells us he withdrew or he went to another place. In fact, withdrew is used almost a dozen times to describe Jesus' behavior when it came to popularity. Now, that's not how we are at all, those of you that are on social media. I mean, if you post something, don't you love it when you get a thumbs up? You, you check it the next day, and if no one even likes what you post, you just probably delete it. It's like, well, I'm done with this one. Didn't even get one thumb up. But if you get like, whoa, 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 whoa. Look at a lot of notoriety, a lot of thumbs up. Whoa, this guy shared it with somebody else. This guy gave me a heart. Well, I mean, a girl gave me a heart. And we love that kind of notoriety. But Jesus withdrew from notoriety. Listen to the words of his first sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know this from the Beatitudes. Have you ever thought about what poor in spirit means? Poor in spirit means when you reach into the pockets of your soul, you ain't got nothing. You pull it out, the pockets are empty. You're empty as a person. And Jesus says, blessed are you. He goes on to say, blessed are the last, blessed are the least, blessed are the lowest, blessed are the lost. What he's telling us is I'm looking for a population that isn't so high and falutin that they don't know my, their need for God. I'm looking for a population, a demographic that understands the starting point is I need a savior. Jesus says that the growth of my kingdom is going to be like yeast 
Those of us, I've never baked bread, but I used to watch Jan do it a lot. She would embed into the dough a little bit, a pinch of yeast. And voila, like magic. It would grow, but slowly. You, you never could see it actually happen. But he says, my kingdom is not going to be like this flash in the pan. Wow, it's blowing up. It's just going to be this small, gradual thing. It's Jesus style. He says that your faith in response to him is also small and it's okay. All you need is a mustard seed to move that mountain. To believe in Jesus, you don't have to get it all. It just takes a little bit. Well, I could go on describing all of this, but by the time we get to the days right before the cross, Jesus has an encounter with his disciples the night before he's crucified. Guess what he does? He aims low and washes the disciples' feet. Folks, this is like you going to the chart house and and someone that you're waiting on says, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not the way it's going on today. I'm gonna serve you. Waiter, sit down. What do you want? I'm gonna take your order It's on me, and I'm going to serve you. And Jesus serves the disciples. He washes their feet. And then when two disciples ask, can I sit on your left hand and your right hand when you get to your throne? Jesus realizes they don't know what what throne I'm going to tomorrow. And he goes ahead and dies on a cross. So... From the manger, go to that next slide, my friend, where the shadow of the cross is over the manger. You realize this this has been the story all along. God tipped us off on Christmas Day. The, The fact that there was no room in the inn, the fact that it was a stable, the fact that it was a manger is where this whole story is going. He's aiming low. He's looking for those people that know their need for a Savior. So the last part is the question, if we're to live in this upside-down world, what is our response to it? And I'm glad you asked that question. So if you ask the question, how do we respond to Jesus? Well, it's never, it's not going to be through merit. It's not going to be through performing. It's certainly not going to be through us all getting to heaven and saying one day, you want to know why I'm here? Yeah, because I'm just that guy. I am pretty holy. I'm pretty amazing. How about you? It's, I don't think heaven's going to be that way, right? So it's not through performance. It's not through merit. What the Bible says, it's through trust in Jesus. Where I come, empty pockets, poor in spirit, and I put all my trust into how amazing he is. Now, why do I call this upside down? Because guess what? This world is, is not upside down, right? This world is backwards. Who do we honor in our world? 
People with beauty, people with brains, people with bucks. And if, if you feel like in junior high, you don't measure up to beauty, brains, or bucks, you already feel like, ah. Or we honor people with possessions, we honor people with position, we honor people who know people. And if you don't have that, you think, wow, what do I do? What well, we're all supposed to do is enter into the same upside down world Jesus lives in and put our trust in him, right? And then beyond that, guess what we do? We enter into the upside down world. We start serving others the way Jesus served us, right? It's not like he just did it all. Now it's like, tag, you're it. Let's do this thing. Who can I serve? Who can I reach out to? Who can I minister to? Some of you know that I'm a, a, a literary fan of, of three authors. This audience could tell you who they are. J.R.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, and George MacDonald. George MacDonald was the mentor of these two great writers. But if you read the books of these writers, guess what? George MacDonald always has the hero be a child. C.S. Lewis decides to go with that, and he has children that come into Narnia as the protagonist, and he has a reaper-cheap hero who's a mouse. Tolkien decides to go low also, and he has hobbits that rescue Middle Earth, right? It's the little people that are actually the most important people. They're the great people. It's the little people, the insignificant, the poor in spirit, that have caught on and said, yes, it's all Jesus. It's not me. It's Jesus from the manger to the cross. There's another hero that most of us have never thought about, and I'm going to mention his name. His name is Saint Nicholas. Saint Nicholas was a wealthy merchant living on the southern coast of Turkey, which was a Greek city at the time, 300 AD, and he's, he gets it. It's an upside down world. I never knew that. And so as a wealthy merchant, he starts giving his money to the poor. He finds three girls who are about to be trafficked, human trafficking, and he throws some gold into their window so that they can pay their way out of the trafficking and be rescued from slavery. And he starts giving his life away to the poor. And that begins the story that we have now today of Santa Claus. And now I want to say to you on this Christmas, tag your it. Now you know the story from the manger to the cross. It's now your story. This last Saturday, we had Hope Leadership give out toys to 3,000 kids in Oceanside and in uh, Southeast San Diego. How many kids? 3,000 kids. How cool is that? But listen to this story. So 10-year-old Asher, who gets the upside-down world, 
10-year-old Asher says, wait a second, we gave away bicycles last year, but none of the kids had helmets. That's not safe. So he, as a 10-year-old, starts a fundraising mission to raise hundreds of dollars to buy helmets for kids that are going to get bicycles. So not only did 100 bicycles get given to kids, but 100 helmets. A 10-year-old got it. It took me a lot longer to get it. And maybe you're the same. Maybe you were raised in the same world I was raised in, where you just kept thinking, I got to be more important. I got to be more famous. I got to be this. I got to be this. I got to be this. And I want to invite you into the upside down world today. It's a lot more fun just being who you are, impressing nobody. It's a lot more fun admitting the truth that I can never save myself, nor could you. And what I read on Christmas about the manger, the empty, no room, the, the, the stable, all of that was pointing towards the cross. And it's what I believe in. And my response is to just say, I'm just me, but I trust in you this day. So I'm going to pray, but before I pray, I just want to say, tag, you're it. Welcome to the upside down world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. God, as you look upon our lives, you see all of, you see the good, the bad, and the ugly. You see all of our defenses. You see all of the things that, that we use to pretend and perform and merit. But alone in front of you, God, we're in need of a Savior. And we thank you so much for sending Jesus. And so this Christmas, God, we want to open up our hearts to you and to surrender our lives to you with that mustard seed of faith and to believe that you are the Son of God, that you are the one that came to take away the sins of the world and that you are my Savior and my Lord. And we pray, God, that you would come into my life and that you would make me an upside-down person. It's not just living for me, but living for you and living for others. Lord, thank you for coming. Thank you for rescuing us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.